Oh, good evening. Can you hear me? Okay. Just want to make sure. Well, I appreciate the song that Pastor Keith chose, Emmanuel, that God is with us. Because it's God, the fact that he is with us, that we have hope, that we can go on, that we can make it through tomorrow. I want to read two scriptures, and then I want to pray. And media team, I'm sorry, I'm going to be all over the place. Um, but the first scripture is from 1 Peter 4.12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though some strange thing happened to you. The second scripture is 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober and watchful, because your adversary the devil walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let's pray. Father God, I come before you in all your mercy. Thankful for your mercy and your grace and the love that you have for each and one of us. God, I thank you for your faithful promises. I thank you that you're true. I thank you that you are with us, Father. And tonight as I offer this fish and these loaves, I pray that you multiply it to feed the hungry, Lord, and those that might be hurting. God, speak through me, Lord. Speak to hearts and lives, and God, may lives be changed. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Probably about a month ago, God began to impress this message upon my heart, and I was just so on fire. I just wanted to call Pastor Chat. Well, I didn't want to call him, but I was hoping he would offer me the opportunity to speak soon. And I did want to call and say, hey, you know, can I speak? But I decided, you know what, I'm going to wait. I'm going to let the Lord's timing. I'm going to wait for his timing. And as he was preaching Sunday, we watched from home. We watched the live stream. And I sat there with my family, and I was listening. I said, well, there goes my message from Wednesday night. Because um, it was very similar, the same thing that had been impressed upon my heart. And then Pastor Chad um, alluded to what he was going to share Sunday about different things. And I thought, well, maybe I need to call him. Maybe we need to get on the same page, or maybe I need to do something totally different. But then the more I thought about it, I said, you know what? If God's speaking the same thing or similar things to both of us, then it must be the word for the hour. So tonight, I want to kind of mesh two things together, our identity and spiritual warfare. You all know we have an identity problem in our country. We don't know who we are as a country. We don't know who we are as a people. We don't know who we are as individuals. Sunday, Pastor Chad talked a lot about the labels that we allow to be placed upon us. He talked about shame, and he talked about the lies that we've come to believe about ourselves. Guess where those lies come from? Satan. Satan, absolutely right. As 1 Peter 5, 8 says, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, and your adversary roars about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now that word to devour, that's the same word that's used in the Hebrew when it describes the way the Red Sea swallowed up the Egyptians as they followed the Hebrews. So if you imagine that, that Red Sea coming on this mass of people to drown them and destroy them, to prevent harm coming to God's people. But look at it the other way, that the enemy is trying to devour us in that same way. He's trying to heap harm and devastation on us to keep us from reaching other people, to keep us from reaching and living the lives that he's called us to live, to, co- leave, to keep us from living a holy life so that we can spend eternity with him. Guess who his biggest target is? Us, as Christians, believers, those who follow Christ. The enemy isn't interested in those who don't serve the Lord. 
they're not bothering him. And it reminds me of a song, an old Southern gospel song we used to sing, and Pastor Keith asked him if he remembered the name of this. But one of the lyrics said, Satan never bothers us around here anymore because we don't get in his way. But it's the Christians who are seeking to live that life, who are seeking to share the gospel, who are seeking to make an impact for the kingdom of God. That is who the enemy is targeting. When we identify as a believer of Christ, when we identify as a Christian, we have a target on our back, and we can expect to come under spiritual attack. And for whatever reason, I've just seen an increase in this lately, and it has grieved my spirit greatly. I've seen it in not only my own life and that of my children, but I've seen it in my colleagues, I've seen it in my friends, and I've seen it with some of you, some of the things that you shared with me. Sometimes we become so battle-worn and weary that we don't recognize that it's a spiritual attack. And sometimes we just ask ourselves, why is this happening to me? And we just keep wondering why, when does it end? And we forget that we don't have to take this, that we can stand up, that we can resist the enemy, that he will flee from us. We can stand in our kingdom authority and we can tell the devil where to go. Sometimes we don't have to play the victim. We don't have to succumb to the attack. There was a family who was riding down the road one day with their children. And there's a little boy, about five or six. I may get emotional telling us this. But the little boy said, Mom, I just gave the devil a good old talking to. Mom was a little shocked. You know, first of all, why is the devil talking to this precious five or six-year-old boy? What in the world is he saying? And how did this child know it was the devil? And so mom asked the son and says, what did you have this, what was this conversation like? He said, well, the devil told me I was no good. He told me I was never going to amount to anything. And he told me to quit trying. If you hadn't figured it out, that was one of my sons. At five or six years old, they sat there. And he said, Mom, I gave him a good talking to. I told him to get away from me. I told him to flee from me. As that mom, I don't know what I was more shook by. I don't know if I was more shook by the fact that the enemy was talking to him. I don't know if I was more impressed or relieved that he knew to rebuke the enemy. I don't know if I was more grateful for the fact that someone, whether it be me, her Sunday school teachers, his children's leaders, had taught him to rebuke the enemy and not to be afraid. So I want to ask you tonight, where do you see yourself in this story? Think about it for a moment. Would you have bought into the lies of the enemy? Or would you have rebuked the enemy? Just take a moment to think about that. And think about right now, we're in this holiday season when the stresses of life run high. We're visiting family or maybe they're visiting us and that seed of comparison comes up where maybe we're going to someone else's home that's nicer than ours or they're telling about their works and the vacations and the bonuses they're getting or they're able to give nicer gifts than we're able to give. Just that root of comparison springs up and the enemy likes to find any way he can to attack us. It's in this season that is fraught with stress and emotion that he attacks us when we are weak. And we remember 1 Peter 4.12, 4, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Scripture tells us it's going to happen. This is not new to us, but that does not mean we have to accept it as a fact of our life. We have the tools to fight it. And spiritual warfare, as we said earlier, is happening all around us. There are people that don't know. What used to be wrong is now right. People think abortions are okay. We see marriages being attacked left and right. And this week, just I've had more people tell me that their marriage is, is threatened. And then we hear individuals who are just struggling, struggling with life, and struggling with the enemy attacking them. Some things to know about spiritual warfare is one, it's spiritual. It's in the name. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So an invisible battle is taking place against an invisible enemy. We know him by name. We know his schemes. But that doesn't mean we see him sneaking up behind us or sneaking up behind our children or sneaking up behind our loved ones and our church members. You know, when I think about spiritual attacks, I think about how the enemy tries to attack us. He tries to catch us off guard. And the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is that whack-a-mole game. And if you've ever been fortunate enough to accompany a child or grandchild to a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese or what used to be Showbiz Pizza, you know what I'm talking about. You have this mallet, and there's all these little moles that pop up out of these holes, and you're trying to hit one. Well, while you're over here trying to hit this one, there's another one popping up out of the surface, and you're trying to hit this one, and there's two or three more popping up over here, and you're just constantly trying to whack one, and you kind of feel good about yourself when you get one, but then there's three or four more over here looking at you. And it's a constant battle. Now, that's a little lighthearted example, but our spiritual battle is so much more than that. Someone likened it to like a terrorist, just to the destruction that they wreak, that the devastation that they wreak through killing is unseen, it's unsuspected. And as Christians, we know the battle rages and it will continue to. And we're going to keep on battling that unseen enemy. It doesn't stop until the end. But we have to remain vigilant to the schemes of the enemy because our souls is at stake and the souls of others is at stake at well. So tonight, I want to talk about some different ways. And I know some of you have probably been battling spiritual warfare longer than I've been alive. But sometimes I find that we forget. Sometimes I find that we need to be reminded. I know that I need to be reminded sometimes. We have to remain vigilant by maintaining a close relationship with the Father. God wants us to grow in our knowledge of Him, not just knowing about the Bible, Okay, we can think we know things about the Bible, but he wants us to have a close relationship with him. His word says that my sheep know my voice. And just as my son heard the enemy talking to him, he knew it was the enemy. And God wants us to recognize his voice when he's talking to us. God wants us to live with hope. As Christians, trials, suffering, and spiritual warfare should not catch us by surprise. We have hope because we know we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. We know our trials and suffering are only temporary, and our hope of a better tomorrow should be apparent to the world. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light 
so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. We face trials, we face struggles, we hurt, and we don't have to fake that. But people should also see something different about us, that we have a hope, that even though we're going through all this, that it's not the end of the world, that we know we're going to get through it, that we know we have a God, Emmanuel, that is with us, that is going to bring us through the other side. And that's something that we need to be a witness to for other believers and those who don't know Christ. God wants us to walk in the power of the resurrection. I don't know how that happened. I know God did it. I know he raised Jesus from the dead. I've read the evidence and it happened. I don't know how God did it other than his might and his power. I don't know the inner workings of it. But I know there are two words in the New Testament that can be translated as power and authority. And Paul uses both of them in this passage. And first he talks about the dunamis of God. And this is the explosive power of God that affects actual change. And you and I are never powerless when we follow Jesus. We have the power to choose joy, even in the darkest of circumstances. We have the power to overcome our circumstances, not just being a victim to them. We have the power to become Christ-like as we study his word and we seek to be more like him. But God also wants us to claim the authority of Christ over us and through us. Here, Paul is talking about the second kind of power, the exousia of God, which is the kingdom authority of God over all the powers of darkness. There are authority structures in this unseen spiritual world, just there are in our world. But none of them are above the resurrected Christ, and we know Jesus has absolute authority over all authorities in heaven and in earth, and he grants that authority to his people, to the church. And sometimes we fail to use it. In a moment, we're going to talk about our identity. And our identity as a child of God gives us the authority to stand in our kingdom authority and to rebuke the enemy when he comes against us. We know that when we follow Jesus, we've already won. We have the ultimate prize because we're close to him and we're going to have eternity with him. That is the ultimate prize. Jesus... We have already won the battle when we follow Jesus, even before the battle has begun in our lives. We're going to still experience defeats. We're still going to experience discouragement. We are still going to deal with suffering and setbacks. But we don't have to meet those with a spirit of defeat. Spiritual warfare is personal. We know that God created us. He knows us from his mother's, knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows this inside out. Now, the enemy does not necessarily know us that well, but he and his demons study us. They try to find our weak spot. They try to find our Achilles heel. And for some of us, that may be us personally. For others, it may be our parents. For others, it may be your children or your grandchildren. And the enemy tries to hit you where it hurts the most. doesn't always mean they're successful. Remember Job? The adversary told God that it was because of the hedge God had around Job and the blessings he's given Job that caused Job to serve God. And the enemy assisted, said, God, if you will remove that hedge around Job, he's not going to serve you anymore. 
Let me at him. Let me have my chance at him. God, I will prove to you that he's not going to serve you. But you know the story. Job was miserable to the point that he longed for death. His greatest agony was that he felt like God was against him. And oh, that that would be our greatest agony, that we felt like God was against us, to the point that we'd make sure that we lived a life that we knew he was not. In all his suffering, Job's only source of comfort was that he did not turn from the Lord. He was convinced that he continually tried to honor and obey God. And with this reality deep in his heart, he experienced peace in the midst of his pain. And just as God allowed Job to be tested, we see this with Simon Peter also. Luke 22:31 says, The Lord said, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you sift, have you to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I don't know about you. That's just a heavy weight to know that Jesus is praying for me and that he knows even though I may fail, he loves me anyway. This is right before Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus was praying for him, and even though Jesus knew what was going to happen, Jesus loved him anyway. It was not going to turn him away from him. He was waiting for him to repent, and he did. And there's two things we can take from this. God's going to allow us to be tempted to a, cer- tempted to a certain extent. The better news is that Jesus is praying for us, that he's praying for our faith, that he's praying for us, that when we're tested, that we'll stand firm, that we will not fail. And God is faithful in all temptation to make a way of escape. And we need to be aware that the enemy's constantly plotting our demise. We need to live in the knowledge that God is greater than the enemy. And I will confess tonight that there have been times in the midst of the trial, I focused on the trial, that I forgot to see God in the midst of it. I forgot that God was Emmanuel right there with me in the midst of this. But this battle is unavoidable, but it is winnable. So as believers, how are we to do battle? We have to dress for battle. Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. Anybody need more peace in their life? In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Anybody in here ever heard of the armor of God before? If you spent any time in church, I'm sure you have. I know in girls' ministry and Bible quiz, we talk about this in depth. We talk about it extensively so that they know we quiz them on it back and forth. We talk about the breastplate of righteousness how physically in battle the breastplate protects your heart, but the breastplate of righteousness protecting our spiritual heart. We talk about the shield of faith and how we talk about shields, how they're composed, and that as other, the enemy would fire darts at them, the shield is what would protect them from them when they held them up. 
But we also talk about them, how the shields are about four feet wide and they're a little bit tall, a couple feet tall, but what they could do is they could sit them on the ground and they connect them side by side. And they would connect and they would have this stronger faith with each other. And us as Christians, when we get weak in our faith, we can lean on the strength and the faith of our fellow man, of our fellow Christian. And that those shields connected together form this impenetrable barrier for protection. And as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that's how we are to be. Where we lean on each other for when we're weak, our faith is weak and when we're not strong. We lean on each other so that we are impenetrable. The helmet of salvation. We know when battle, physical helmets cover our head. You all have, those that have children and grandchildren, you know, they recommend helmets to protect your head for all the head injuries. But spiritually, we want to protect our mind. Most of the battle in spiritual warfare starts between the ears. The enemy whispers the lies in here, and he gets trapped. They don't always make their way out the other side. It gets stuck in there, and we give voice to it. We allow that thoughts to take root. We allow these lies to run amok. We give them credibility, and we begin to believe them. What should we really do? We should rebuke the father of lies. We should resist him, because when we resist him, what happens? He flees. Our salvation by grace through faith is a testimony to the fact that Jesus sees us as forgiven and as his child, and we don't have to buy into the lies of the enemy. And just like my son, he could have very easily believed that and let that fester as a young child. And to this day, I'm sure he still deals with some of that. And just like you and I, if we're honest, we deal with that as well. We have to realize the grace that God has bestowed upon us and through our salvation and our faith in Him, that that's not how God sees us. He does not see us the way the enemy sees us, and He wants the best for us. And we have to take captive those thoughts that the enemy tries to throw through us and stop them in their tracks. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life and of the spirit and of joints and marrow, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. Imagine being close to giving up the fight. I'm sure all of us have to imagine it. I would imagine most of us have been there in some pretty dark days where we've come close to not having the energy or the strength, thinking we couldn't go on anymore, that the battle was too great. Just imagine being battle-weary, yet you persevere and you open up the Word of God. Now, we've heard about the Word of God being logos. We're not talking about the logos Word of God. We're talking about the rhema Word of God. This isn't speaking of the entire Bible, but the individual verses and truths that God's Spirit whispers into our heart. It's that timely word from the Lord that is most needed when we're at our weakest. There are times we have to pray the Word of God for ourselves. There are times we have to pray the Word of God over ourselves. And there are times we have to declare it to the adversary. And let me explain what the Word of God is to the devil. It's like kryptonite to Superman. It's like light to cockroaches. It's like the cross to Dracula. 
That's what God's spoken word is to the devil. So I encourage you to stand in your kingdom authority and declare the word of the Lord to rebuke the enemy. All of these pieces of the armor work together. And once we are dressed for battle, our next step is obedience to the Lord. When we're engaging in spiritual warfare, we don't have to be afraid. God's word tells us he didn't give us a spirit of fear. We don't have to be afraid that the enemy's not going to hear us. When we give him the word to flee, he has to flee. We can speak courageously and boldly to him. Flee from me in the name of Jesus by the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. Leave me, enemy of, leave me, devil. Famed World War II tank commander General George Patton said, Courage is fear. Holding on a minute longer. If you give in to your fears, you're on the path to defeat. If instead you stand strong in spite of your fears, you are on the path to victory. And we must never forget that we are not in the battle alone. With the power of God on our side, we cannot be defeated. That's a very powerful and accurate statement. God is for us. He's already won the battle. When you go into battle, when you think about battles... Everybody kind of has to show up, don't they? If the soldiers are just there and they don't have their military, if they don't have their ammo, if they don't have their equipment, are they going to be successful? No, they're not. If we don't show up with the right armor, if we don't show up with the right attitude, if we just show up, well, if it works, if it doesn't, okay. No, we have to be determined. We have to know that God's on our side and that we can stand in that kingdom authority, that we exercise that authority, and the devil will flee. And we have to be watchful, and we have to fight with prayer. Prayer is one of our greatest weapons. Because the war is a spiritual one, and our weapons are spiritual in nature, the real victory in our lives comes through prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Prayer is communication between us and God, and God wants us to come to him first with our cares and our concerns. And John Piper refers to prayer as our walkie-talkie of faith. I thought that was cute. He calls it our wartime walkie-talkie. But prayer is one of the pathways that God brings about breakthrough in our lives. And we see this in Daniel 10. He said, Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayers, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people. Prayer is heard by God. God answers that prayer. We all know sometimes it may be yes. Sometimes he may say no. Sometimes he may say right, not right now. But God's going to hear our prayer and he's going to answer our prayer. We have to fight with God's strength. John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
self-sufficiency is sinful. I mean, I think Pastor Chad used the illustration of the most sinful satanic music being Frank Sinatra's My Way. You know, we aren't meant to be self-sufficient. That's not God's plan for us. We're to be dependent on Him. We're not going to get far if we try to do it our way, if we try to go it alone. If you remember when the disciples could not cast out the demon from the man, and they said, Jesus, why could we not cast this one out? He said, this one has to be cast out with prayer and with fasting. And if we remember who answers those prayers, it's Jesus. So even though disciples had been given this power, they still could not do it on their own. So that brings us back to identity. You know, I know Pastor Chad's been talking about labels um, and spiritual warfare, as I've talked about tonight, and the lies the enemy tell us. So tonight my question would be, who are you in Christ? And we have a little more time, and I would like to ask you to take your Bibles or your phone, and we're just going to have some time that I would like you to locate three to five scriptures in your Bible that says who you are in Christ. I can tell you all day long who I think you are, but the Word of God speaking to you is so much more powerful hearing from Him. We've got some pen and paper up here that we're happy to distribute so you can write those down. And if you find someone, I would love for you to share um, those with us. But we're going to take maybe about maybe about seven minutes. So looking for verses that tell you who you are in Christ, your identity. I have two I want to share with you in closing. One is Ephesians 2.10. And this has been my prayer for some that I know that have been battling spiritual warfare, who've been struggling with their identity and, and buying into the lies of the enemy. It says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Another version that I really like, it says, For we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. And there's one more. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And I've been begging our Bible quiz team for that to be our name, bought with a price, because we are bought with a price. And I hope we all remember, no matter what the enemy tells us, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And I'm a firm believer that actions speak louder than words. And Jesus proved his love for us at the cross on Calvary. So no matter what the enemy tells us, we have proof that Jesus Christ loves us. We don't have proof that the enemy loves us. We don't have proof that he has any power over us. So we have to know who God, who we are in God, and who he says we are. And so tonight my prayer for you is that we listen to the voice of God, that we hear who he says he is, not the lies of the enemy. And my prayer is that if you didn't find verses tonight or none came to mind, that you will keep searching and that this will stir something in your heart. And that maybe when you come across people who are struggling, who don't know God or who are weary from the battle, who are beat down, that you can help lift them up and help them with this also. Let's pray.